Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello, everybody, and welcome along to a very special midweek motorsport just after three o'clock where I am and just after eight o'clock in the UK. Uh, I am at Lime Rock Park, Connecticut, because this weekend it's the uh, IMSA event here this weekend, Friday and Saturday, all covered live here uh, on the Radio Shulamit network of channels, although that'll be over on RS2. IMSA Radio, meantime, and welcome, but we should have a little roll of drums here. Welcome back after his sojourn in Russia to our executive producer up in London. It is the one, the only. He's back, Tim Gray. Hello, Tim. Good evening, John. Good evening, everyone. And on a packed program tonight, we have. Uh, we have all the usual features, uh, although they may be unusual if uh, uh, I'm right in thinking that you haven't been doing all the usual features in my absence. So we have news. Uh, we'll have news in we Spanish. Have, we've tried our best. Uh, we have pointless press release of the week. Oh. We have a bit of music that you should have played two weeks ago but didn't. Uh, we'll have Shay Adam, we'll have Nick Damon, uh, right. we'll have an ELMS preview. Probably because we didn't have it. And uh, we will also have Dex and Brennan. Good evening, Dex. Hello. Uh, and we, we start tonight with some sad news. Sadly, in the last few weeks, we've had to talk rather too many, about rather too many deaths. Uh, in the wide world of motorsport. And tonight, uh, it's come to, uh, the, the news is broken of the death of, of Morris Moore Nunn, uh, an absolute stalwart of uh, racing over here in the States, uh, and a massive loss to the motor racing community, Dex. Yeah, uh, let's not forget he was a, obviously a stalwart of, of one for a long time as well. Uh, and and to be honest, my memories of him uh are, are basically he it, through him uh, I was introduced to Formula One personally because when Enzyme uh, and Mo Nunn and Derek Daly and Sid Taylor arranged to bring uh, a, a car to do demo laps at, at the Phoenix Park when I would have been nine or maybe ten uh, it was arguably the most exciting thing that had ever happened to me in my life the first time I ever heard a Formula One car with a Cosworth engine through the trees at the at the Phoenix Park, uh, and and that's my my memories of uh, are in massively fond because his team and 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 he was responsible for for introducing me to that insane pleasure uh, that stuck with me obviously for the rest of my life. Uh, my other uh, obviously he he uh, he also created some some beautiful Formula One cars that were ultimately never really uh like uh ultimately as successful as as he'd hoped they obviously he scored he was a regular point scorer uh produced some beautiful cars particularly later towards when things were were, were actually going bad for him ironically uh i think back to the, the unipart enzymes of 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 1980 uh of tiffany dell and david kennedy who who 
who for the most part didn't qualify for Grand Prix. I think uh, also Clayreg uh, has only drove one of those cars, one of the most beautiful Formula One cars I've ever seen, and, and both in terms of its livery and its design. Uh, he effectively had two careers, really, kind of like Gambers and Fittipaldi on the driving side. He, he you know, w- when things became uh, untenable for him in, in F1, he, he relocated and used his engineering skills to, to carve out quite the reputation for himself in, in, in IndyCar and did a phenomenal job. Uh, and sadly, back to my personal uh, experience of him, the first uh, IndyCar I ever got to hear, so both my first F1 car was was an Enzyme, and the first IndyCar I ever got to see in person was Tony Canaan doing the opening lap and the opening laps at Rockingham oh. uh, on a cloudy Saturday in 2001 when we had the threat of the weepers and we were in the, and we were in the metaphorical clouds of September 11th were upon us and, and he brought that car out and, and it was the most extraordinary sight visually and orally and I, I, I will never forget it. And I think his opening flying lap was 2.14 around that one and a half, half mile compact oval. And, and again, that was in a, 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 a Monon team, uh, team Nun uh, IndyCar. So my memories are absolutely like really the, the, the two of the, the things that are branded onto my brain in terms of my love of motorsport are, are firmly uh, brought to me by, uh, by Mo Nunn. So I have the most wonderful memories of him from that perspective. Uh, and he is a, it's, a, it's a huge loss. Like his, his, I haven't got it in front of me, but if you were to tally up his wins as, a, as, a, as an engineer, as, a, as a, in IndyCar, they're absolutely incredible. Uh, if I'm correct, he was Zanardi's engineer in his great days at, uh, uh, at Ganassi. Uh, and somebody's going to tell me I'm wrong now, but I believe that's, that's the case. And uh, did an up, you know, obviously when when Zanardi was dominant, uh, uh, in fact, when when Ganassi was dominant with Zanardi and uh, and Jimmy Vassar, uh, he was uh, responsible for that. And, uh, what a, what a the 1996 title with Jimmy Vassar uh, when he was technical yeah. director with Chip Ganassi, yeah. and then two brilliant seasons with Alex uh, Zanardi. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and uh, Chip Ganassi was very effusive on. Uh, on, on Twitter today, uh, talking about him uh, in terms of you know his his imprint is all over IndyCar and all, all all over Chip Ganassi Racing and what a what a thing to say and he's absolutely right that you could argue that that uh, if you go back through their history uh, while they were they were a decent team for a long time they became dominant under uh, under the the guidance uh, from a technical perspective of Monon and and what a legacy that is. You know, uh, and and you know, just uh, absolutely extraordinary. Um, a huge loss, huge loss to uh, to motorsport globally. Uh, universally known as a quietly so- quiet and soft-spoken man who did his talking in actions rather than words. And anyone who got a chance to spend any time with Morris Monon uh, will know exactly of what I speak. I suspect there'll be more chat about Monon and uh, his loss to us all and particularly we pass on our condolences to family uh, and friends in all of the motorsport paddocks uh, we'll talk i'm sure more with jeremy shaw when he gets on site on thursday here and across the the weekend okay. you're listening to midweek motorsport Declan brennan's going to stay on the line now uh, and uh, we'll talk a little more news with him in a moment after i've done a little bit of housekeeping hello to alexander Orkin, who's not listening uh, live tonight he's on stage in walking 
uh, in the touring short of Evita, apparently. His curtain went to about half an hour ago. Uh, he this said, this is an amazing... podcast with uh, suitable musical chords? An amazing thing. Um, the fact that it's in Woking to start with, uh, and that might explain why uh, Johnny Palmer uh, is uh, not far away from there. He's probably about 20 minutes away uh, last time I spoke to him. So um, it's, it's possible that Johnny Palmer might be going to watch that. If we could get him in at the back of the theatre, that would be absolutely fantastic and do a, a bit of a, a, a live report from that. Alan Prosser says, no apologies this week. World Cup over, uh, our, he says. So he's uh, listening in tonight. Uh, Davy Two Brews in this evening. Uh, and who else? Uh, oh, just scrolled down, scroll down there a moment. Uh, here we are. Just lost everything I was looking at there. Uh, there we are. Uh, yes, quite a lot of the... Oh, Lounge's car. Yes. Um, uh, saying, organising a retirement party. Spoke about this with Creelsey last week, of course. And Lounge's car saying, hoping to be at Le Mans uh, later uh, ne- oh, in the June of next year. Oh, we hope. Yes, absolutely. Right turn lover trying to get ducks in a row for midweek motorsport. Uh, it's always easy to shoot Lakeside that way. listening. Uh, this evening, <laughs> what if they're all in a row? Yes, just one bullet goes all the way through them. Now, hard to be high velocity, I would think. Uh, La Filipponi, or is it L A Filipponi? I don't know because it's L ca- capital L capital A. Have to catch the podcast preparing for what is becoming an annual tradition because I'm heading to Lime Rock Park for the IMSA weekend. Well, I'll pop in and say hello, of course. Hello to Dolly C Lama. Tweeting for the first time uh, for a while tonight, and we are live I, I from Lime Rock Park. Release. I am. Today. Declan is. Uh... Really? Yes. What are we going to do with them? Well, apparently they're very good at guarding chickens. I've always wanted to keep chickens, and the reason I've never right. done so is not because I didn't have an alpaca or six to guard them. Right. Uh, Chris Suku says no apologies large chicken salad and a bowl of berries for dessert we were up at Marion's for lunch of course which uh, was fantastic some great burgers and a great Caesar salad to go with it Jonathan Main says no AFAs this weekend uh, and his lawn like ours at Hindhoff Towers is a bit yellow uh, so hello to everyone who's listening. Late arrival says Mark Harrison listening live for the first time in a while Right, fantastic. That's all good. Uh, let's go back. To, can you play the news jingle for me, please? I, I and then can we'll get do. back to decks with a story. Nick Damon has just said to me, don't get chickens, you'll get rats. I'm more worried about the foxes, to be honest, because uh, I think the alpacas would get rid of the rats. Yeah. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. And I'm really happy to say that tonight we're starting the news... Uh, with some junior single-seater news. Yay? We are indeed. But this is a... No, that's TM for Nick, that. Uh, She has started to muscle in on that, but uh, TM for Nick. Uh, It doesn't sound so sincere for uh, He's going to talk to us about this. This is... 
Yes, I know. Uh, this this is a story that broke last week, and we sort of put it to one side because I'd been reliably told there was more to come on it, and indeed there has oh, been. Yes. And we're talking about a quite extraordinary uh, set of behaviour, Declan, that went on in the Formula 2 championship race. And in fact, more pointedly, from, from your point of view as a PR guru after the Formula 2 race and this is Santi Ferrucci and the uh, post-race antics and then the post-post-race antics well oh hang on a second I'm... hang on a second because uh, sorry I didn't realise that uh, Tim wants us to actually read the release that went out because this is what Declan wants to talk yes. about yes, this, please is, do. Please this is very please. good go ahead Tim Trident Motorsport informs to have communicated to Santino Ferrucci and to its guarantor, a company represented by Mr. Michael Ferrucci, the termination of the contract with the team. This decision was motivated by the events, which are of now public domain, occurred at Silverstone as well as by the serious breach of the driver's payment obligations. Since the beginning of the championship, the driver justified its payment default with alleged failure by his sponsors to fulfil their obligations. It seems weird that despite such kind of issues, Santino Ferrucci had the resources needed to enter the Detroit IndyCar race, while at the same time he was not honouring his agreement with Trident. Trident gave mandate to its lawyers in order to activate all the procedures needed to fully recover its credits toward the driver. Yes, uh, not, that wasn't particularly well written and neither was the sort of apology that Santi Ferrucci came out with after the event. Ultimately, Declan, he was handed a, a two-race ban. He and the team have split up somewhat, as you've heard, acrimoniously. But what I want to talk to you about is is that sort of apology after the extraordinary events after the Silverstone F2 race. In front of me, so I'm... I'm I'm going to uh, attempt to just paraphrase uh, ever so slightly. Basically, uh, it, uh, I, I shouldn't have done it, but it was basically his fault. He goaded me into it. I'm an Italian-American, so, you know, that's why uh, I should be excused for doing it. It wasn't really very much. I, didn't really, I wasn't trying to kill him. Uh, then I had a drug test, and I didn't know about the... Uh, uh, the oh, it just goes on and on. It's, it is literally... It carries the least level of ownership and the most level of entitlement I've ever seen in three paragraphs. It's absolutely amazing. It's amazing. He uh, uh, did. I mean, he literally did do everything. It will be used by uh, driver coaches for the next five years at least until somebody <laughs> does something uh, somewhere. Uh, how anybody can do something more ridiculously stupid, I don't know. But literally every box that you could have ticked he has ticked for doing it wrong that what happened yeah, like, in the first and, place and i mean that was that was an unacceptable and then these ridiculous excuses i didn't even realize to start with he'd missed the drug test because he was too busy having a bit of a whinge about what had gone on after the uh, after the uh, no sorry he missed going to the stewards because he had to go to the drug test didn't he that was the, that yeah, was the which, way he was. Was, which he was delighted in his apology he was delighted to 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 uh to go off topic and, and let everybody know that he was clean. Uh, you know, it, the, I just can't, I cannot get past uh, that literally he used his, her, his, his lineage, his heritage as an excuse for his behavior. As if, like, the next time, John, I see you, I'm going to get really drunk and I'm just going to start a fight with you because I'm Irish. You know, and then, and you'll have to excuse me for it because I'm Irish. Because literally he used a stereotype 
not an actual character trait. He used a stereotype as an excuse. It's it's mind boggling. The more I read it, the more angry I get. It's like who advised him to do this? It's just bonkers. And so somebody, uh, Nick or Tim, will have to uh, obviously explain the ramifications with regards to his Haas development contract. But uh, but I'm presuming this puts his super license under uh, under question. Tim, is that is that uh, logical? Uh, I'm not sure what his situation with the uh, the super. Go on, Tim. Well, uh, obviously, if he uh, isn't able to complete the season, then he won't uh, get uh, very many points towards his super license, so he won't be able to have a super license. Um, so I would suspect that super license is the least of his worries, though, because he'll be trying to find somewhere uh, where they'll Did actually let him drive. Penalty- Did, they, did, did he get penalty points as well? I mean, I know he was banned for two races. He was banned for that, four that races. That is now going to be an issue. That, I mean... He was oh, banned was for he, four mate? races. Um, and also fined €66,000. Wow. That's um, a lot of money. That's, that that's is quite a lot, a lot of money. Of money. Thank you, Tim. That's that's not, that's not just having his cell phone in the car. Yeah, that, that's if, not just... If, uh, I'm, if, what? Uh, I remember things correctly. Uh, that's correct, oh Declan. It wasn't just, it just for driving worse. into the back of his teammate. It was uh, that he had a cell phone with him in the car and that he was driving through the paddock with only one glove on. And when I say only one glove on, I didn't mean that he was wearing nothing but one glove. I mean that he had one hand that w- was not gloved. <laughs> Jackson, as it's known. But, uh, uh, but uh, that's that extraordinary. And, of course, we, you know, his career clearly is over in Europe. If he's already made the decision that uh, I better go to IndyCar, that's probably an indication that his, his career is, uh, is over. Although, interestingly enough, I, I work with a number of people in the, in the, in the driver management business. Uh, uh, and I spoke to one in particular who was very close to the people who actually manage him. And, uh, and, they will, and he is being defended as being a, a misunderstood good kid. And, <laughs> There are people in the United States who would be more than willing to represent him and work with him and feel he's a, he's a, he's a star in the making, So I, which I, I, have a, I struggle with, to be perfectly honest. Serious <laughs> but, uh, question, Dex. Serious quick question here. He's a young driver. I know we, put, you know we expect a lot of young drivers nowadays. It, it's taken for granted that drivers of that sort of standard can all drive. So what, and you know, Jeremy and I talk about this a lot, particularly with you know, the, the type of uh, young drivers that jeremy picks for team usa it's much it's as much about what you are out of the car and what you bring in addition to your driving um and that's what shocks me so much about this there's no real doubt about the driving talent of anyone who's got to the level that santi ferrucci has got to um but what it shows to me is an exceptional lack of understanding of what's required. Now, whether that's from him, who has, again, he's a young driver. He is a young driver. But his management group decks here, surely, that, I mean, what he put out should never, ever have gone out. If he's done it off his own bat and he hasn't, and I don't I don't know, I'm, I, this is speculation, but if he's done that off his own bat, that is terrible. If he's done that with the knowledge of his management group, that's worse. Yeah, it's shocking. And to be honest, the more you you talk about it, the more I think that I just wonder if if there's somehow when he wrote this, particularly, he felt like 
insulated uh, by his Haas development contract as if he kind of felt like he, he, you know, F2 needs him more than he needs F2 because he's, you know, he's on the, on the, the road to F1 stardom, et cetera. And, and he could basically say what he liked, but it's hard to know, but, but it truly is a, it's such a shockingly bad, 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 put it this way. Uh, there is absolutely no way uh, any client of mine would ever be allowed issue um, purely because I'd be the one writing it. I'd draft exactly. Like, so it, it's actually so bad. It feels like he must have written it himself. That's, D- that's my, my thought. I tend to agree with you, Declan. I don't think a second, uh, uh, Dex. I, I just. W- I, don't, I don't think anyone would have allowed Go ahead, him Tim. to write I, I that. Want, and I want to. Tim, are there some, this is not the first young driver recently who has made mistakes and the mistakes have been um, uh, brought into even more focus and perhaps even multiplied by what's gone afterwards. I'm thinking particularly of Dan Tictum. Yes, uh, Dan Tictum, of course, was uh, a lot lower down the tree. He was racing in uh, Formula 4 um, when he... Uh, decided having uh, spun out at uh, Silverstone that uh, it wasn't his fault he spun out it was Ricky Collard's uh, fault and therefore once he'd recovered from his spin he uh, did an entire lap of the track to catch up with Ricky Collard including overtaking behind the safety car and overtaking the safety car itself uh, uh, before ploughing into the back of Collard he was banned for a whole year Um, but after that ban expired, uh, he went on to race in uh, European Formula 3. He went on to race at Macau and nearly won Macau. Uh, and he's uh, back as a Red Bull uh, driver on the driver development program there. So um, it seems that uh, if you have enough talent, these things can be forgotten. And I suspect that's what Ferrucci must be hoping for. Although... At the same time, he's 18th in the uh, Formula 2 standings at the moment and hasn't scored a huge number of points this year. Uh, finish this off with Dex. Uh, talent one thing, Declan. Uh, Declan, the uh, size of a checkbook, another. Um, it, it's, it could be, misdemeanors can be very quickly forgotten and a couple of decent results in another series, perhaps on where I am now, the other side of the Atlantic. Will that be enough to rehabilitate young Mr. Ferrucci? Well, if he's got sponsor trouble, then uh, I'm not sure it will, because from what I gather, and again, from what, what, what my friends in the management business tell me, that there's no real significant family money there. They've, they've been good at partners, and, and ba- he had backing. He's been in Europe from a pretty young age. He, went to, like, he made the decision to go to Europe uh, to race carts, from a very young age, so uh, like it's uh, they kind of position themselves very early on, and I presume they had enough backing to do this. But but it sounds to me like they it's not like a, it's not a uh, what we call the uh, the uh, Lance Stroll uh, situation, where uh, you know uh, money is no object; they can do what they want. Uh, so he, uh, I presume that is the case. If the fact that he is uh, his next port of call is Dale Coyne, not to be too cynical. But so uh, my thought is that there's probably not a great deal of uh, of cash, and therefore, uh, like like uh, somebody like Al- Alexander Rossi, who had a, a very large number of sponsors, but ultimately, like not enough uh, to 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 create 
a platform for him to stay in F1. And luckily his talent then was, I suppose this is probably most analogous, his talent got him into Andretti and, and obviously look what he's done since. And whether or not uh, Ferrucci's talent is recognized and whether or not people are willing to take a risk on him based on, on what is clearly uh, his form, for want of a better phrase, uh, that's another story. So, so uh, does he have the money? Probably not. Uh, does he have the talent? That's debatable. And that's not the greatest combination for anybody right now. Uh, Declan Brennan, he's going to stay with us for a moment. I'll, I'll give, uh, there's another misdemeanor story that Tim has uh, after I have made this point that comes to us uh, at Speculatement on Twitter from Alan Prosser. Uh, if Ferrucci makes his driving decisions from watching multiple world champion heroes like Vettel, uh, remember Azerbaijan on Lewis, um, perhaps we can't blame him that much. That's a fair point uh, in all honesty. Tim, another misdemeanor story for us here on Midway. Yes, Sports. and this uh, involves too much high profile more high-profile drivers uh, in uh, Andre Lotterer and Jean-Éric Verne. Ah. Each of them has been fined $6,000 uh, the weekend after an underwear inspection found them to be wearing inappropriate underwear. <laughs> There's just so much you could do with that, isn't there? There really, really is. Um, what is this? Is Formula E, of course. This is Formula E. What They're not the first people to inappropriate underwear in Formula E. Uh, underwear that doesn't comply uh, with the FIA uh, code. Um, and uh, the FIA statement said, after checking the clothes, helmet, and front head restraint of the driver, it was found he was wearing non-compliant underwear, which are not allowed by the FIA's international sporting code. The driver has apologised. The stewards considered in th- that in this case the infringement occurred during qualifying with limited cars on circuit and for a short period of time. Now, these are not the first drivers to be uh, penalised for wearing the wrong underwear. Uh, because really, who tell me who? Uh, Lucas Degrassi. Earlier this year, Lucas Degrassi nice. was given three penalty points on his license for wearing underwear which was too small. <laughs> really? Yes. Uh. What does it make? What difference does it make? I mean, did as Shears just put on, on our show track, did the underwear have an extra battery pack? What, really? I, I, the size of the underwear and... Uh, I suspect it wasn't, the, the, wasn't covering him in... There's a very small in, likelihood of having... Is in, a, in, a, in enough uh, coverage to uh, prevent burns from uh, potential fire. Ah, okay. Right, okay. Shall we move on to Formula One? Yes. Do we have our Formula One correspondent, Nick Damon? Yay! Excellent. That would be a yes, then. (laughs) Sorry, I... Sorry, I, I, I forgot we're all doing stereotypes now. Hello there, everybody. I'm from England. I'm going to be supercilious and look down on all of you for the rest of the time because I'm so incredibly more su- superior and can stick that on my press release. Uh, have yes, you, very good indeed. Have um, you ever been uh, penalised for wearing the wrong underwear, Nick? Have you ever been uh, penalised for wearing the wrong underwear, Nick? I wasn't penalised. I was arrested. It's different entirely. <laughs> 
The this is just so much. I, I do. I. I do have a saying about that because obviously I have worn I have worn um, uh, some parts of ladies' underwear in my, my previous career as a dame, pantomime dame. And the key thing is, you wear men's pants, pantomime dame; women's pants, transvestite. Simple as that. But the bra is optional. Do you know, of all the things I thought we might be discussing on Midweek Motorsport <laughs> this week, that wasn't uh, one of them. Um, just before we leave that story about Santi Ferrucci, the testing contract with um, with Haas is that under threat what are you hearing anything at all no oh, they're, they're dropping like a hot potato yeah he's, he's, no, he's not he's not also they're, they're, they're talking about testing contracts um we took uh, tim obviously mentioned dan tick 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 him tick him tick yes. him yeah. um he is still suffering from that incident uh from uh, 2015 because he didn't he didn't drive for a year therefore got no super license points I he hasn't got enough points to take part in the young driver test after the hungarian grand prix which is when red bull wanted him to drive the f1 car but he hasn't got enough super super license points because he's, he's just working his way back up again even though he's doing very well in fia formula three uh wrote the dem rules are dem rules so jordan king's gonna drive instead when he's supposed to get a go so there is some calm in the world uh yes um, we'll talk two wheels with you in a moment, uh, but let's look forward to the weekend. The Formula German One back on track in what seems to have been uh, a ridiculously busy schedule for Formula One. Uh, where are they we, at the weekend? They're in Germany. They're in Hockenheim. You could tell it'd be busy because after three weeks of constant races, there's been well, there's been nothing really. What new, well, there was no news in the last week. There's a big a big items on a well-known website about they're going to be having new mirrors next year and that's the biggest piece of information you can find the day before the press conference is the chance of some new mirrors next year you know everyone is too tired to talk about f1 after three races until there's actual things to talk about it wait 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 seems, i have seems reasonable I have what, stories here what do we expect about? to see at the weekend back to form for lewis and mercedes or will either of the other two well, front-running teams give him a run for his money what is their form john what's their form well, they're big fast, but is. a bit rubbish. Their they're form, we're going back to the thicker tyre. Um, Ferrari came back at them. Ferrari, in many ways, had the fastest car, regardless of punting people off in, in uh, uh, Silverstone. It's it swung around a little bit. It's, it is an incredibly interesting championship, um, just from the fact that you don't go to a race not, not, not knowing who's going to win, but not even knowing who's going to be fastest or who's going to be in contention. Because, um, obviously, at the start of the season, Ferrari were, were way ahead in qualifying, and then Mercedes were pegging him back in the races a bit. And then we had the middle of the season where it was nip and tuck. And then the last couple of races, Mercedes have been fast in qualifying, but not able to, to see it through often in, in the races. Um, so it's really, um, really, really interesting. And I think, I think Red Bull are effectively now realising that after the raft of upgrades that both the other two teams made to engine and, and uh, aero of the previous two races, they are now in almost going into their own division, Division Premier League A, um, and they are now just I think concentrating on the races they think they can win, which are the twisty turny races in Hungary and Singapore and potentially Mexico, and um, and almost just just scuffling around for points. And so much to the extent they're probably going to take a new engine for Danny Rick, um, so he'll start way back and he'll just try and get pick up his you know his normal sixth place because the, the advantage they do have is whilst they're slower than Ferrari and Mercedes. They are so much faster than the Division 2 cars, which are currently led by Renault, that they can effectively, most of them, do anything they want. As long as you can overtake, they'll be able to trawl the way back up to 5th and 6th place again. Uh, up in London, our executive producer, Tim Greer, has something for you, Nick. 
I have lots of news stories. You can't say there's no Formula One news, Nick. There's loads of things happening. For example, there's Pierre Gasly, who says uh, he's been re-energised ahead of the German Grand Prix. Why is that, Nick? Fingers in the uh, hybrid system by accident. Uh, no, it's because he's I French. I don't think that was actually it. He's not actually been electrocuted. Ah, because of the World Cup. Indeed. All right. Okay. Because that 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 obviously. I mean, it's very very nice for them. It was a good weekend for the French. It was uh, Jean Eric Verne winning the uh, Formula E and the Les Bleus uh, winning the World Cup. I'm not quite sure how it affects the uh, Tour of Rossa. I think the probably more concerning wheels won't fall off. To be honest. Also, uh, Renault is preparing for the departure of Carlos Sainz. Yeah, it's weird, that, isn't it? I, um, they have Carlos Sainz under contract. Um, he is on, under loan, sorry. He is under contract to Red Bull. Red Bull can place him in, well, only in the main team. I think they can place him back into Toro Rosso. So it's affected the situation is that because Danny Rick hasn't signed yet and, and there are people circling around, whilst no one is likely to offer him a, a better drive performance-wise, they might pay off him a better paycheck, um, including Renault and uh, and uh, McLaren, um, until he's actually signed for Red Bull again, Renault can't guarantee they're going to have um, Carlos Sainz the following year, so they need to shift around a bit. Uh, what's Bernie Eccleston been up to this week? Has he been entering the over-70 Samba competition, um, or has he been causing trouble? He's been causing trouble. Right. What are you up to now? What's old Bernie been doing? Uh, he's been complaining about the regulations, which he says are too tough on drivers. All the silly things. The causes of drivers. All the silly um, things they do today. Well, penalties for this and that. It's stupid. What um, Sebastian Vettel says. I mean, the point about it is, it's it's you know you can have the kind of half attic concept which they do have in in other classes. Uh, um, or you can have a, a regulated situation where you're not allowed to to knock people off the track. I don't think I don't have a problem with the regulations in F1 as long as they're, I think, as with everything like VAR in the World Cup, like anything, as long as you apply the rules consistently, then there's no problem having the rules. And nobody would deny that you know number one crash and smash and racing British touring cars has been improved by by the impl- implementation of some proper driving standards over the last couple of seasons. So I think Bernie once again is talking rubbish. Uh, he also says uh, that things have changed since the 1980s. Well, obviously, you know, we, we, we don't tend to wear leg warmers as much. I might, the hair's a lot less frizzy. Um, <laughs> His hairstyle's never changed since the 1980s, though. Bernie's hasn't. It's got a bit greyer, but if you look back on all the, the same, the old pictures, he's dressed exactly the same. Black slacks, white shirt, that's it. Well, no, sometimes he has a kind of a brown bomber jacket style leather jacket. Oh, yeah. All right. That's true. That was, you know, I wouldn't say anything. You know, it was the same sort of uniform they were all wearing. We, we all had a very similar outfit from FOM, to be honest. <laughs> it was it was white shirts and black uh, slacks, wasn't it? That was the FOM. Yeah, woolen, mm. woolen trousers to go yeah. around Europe in the summer in a no-shorts option. Mm. <laughs> Any Should more, Tim? Yes. Who's fee- who feels or who believes that there's light at the end of the tunnel now?
Oh, that's a good question because it could either be Zach Brown or it could be Fernando Alonso or it could be anybody involved with Williams and they're all deluded, but you tell me which one it is. None of the above. Really? Okay, well, who is it then? VJ Malia. Oh, well, he, he, does it, is, is that in, a lightning in the effect that he actually could finally go be able to sell Force India or that he's not going to get extradited and so he can, uh, he can actually go to more races um, rather than the one a year we can turn up to because it's the same country he's kind of hiding in? Uh, Malia believes he's a victim of economic circumstances and Indian politicking. Uh, having been an MP in the past, uh, he thinks he's been hounded uh, in and out of India uh, and recently issued a lengthy explanation on social media stating he put $2 billion of securities uh, in settlement. However, according to Reuters, well, some yeah, of that security it, it, is in the form of attached no, assets. Who knows? It, the problem is that with, with that situation, is there is likely to be and there is a, a very heavy political undercurrent within India. And, and whilst it does seem that from the basic facts, he's certainly got some questions to answer for, whether they are um, quite as serious as made out, you know, there, are, there is a political overtone to it. You know, there's a whole new, well, three or four years ago, the new, the new broom that came in and, and, you know, he was part of the old broom, or the, old, um, the old dust, the old part of Trigger's broom. So, yeah, it's, it's likely it's not. I'm, I'm pretty sure he's uh, he's not um, whiter than white, but I'm pretty sure he's not as black as he's been painted by the Indian authorities. Uh, he claims that Force India has no debt at all. Got no cash either, which is a problem. Might not owe anything. We haven't got enough money to build anything. That's more of a bigger problem, isn't it? Uh, he did uh, add on to that. Some accounts are more overdue than others. <laughs> I'm going to steal that. Yeah, I am I, going I, I... to steal that. That is reminds me of an old story, which I promise is not apocryphal. Um, many, many years ago, um, I remember my father telling me a story about one of his colleagues uh, in Sunderland Borough Police. That'll tell you how long ago it was. And in those days, a police officer in Sunderland Borough Police was not allowed to be in debt, and it was quite a serious offence. And this particular officer was getting a, a little... The cops were paid nothing in those days, next to note. And uh, he was getting a lot of hassle from somebody, and he sent a, a letter to, in the old days of letters and stamps, sent a letter to one of the people who were chasing him for money and said, right, this is, this is what happens at the end of the month. I put all of the due bills into my policeman's helmet, and I draw out the four that I'm going to pay that month. If you keep hassling me, you won't even go into the helmet and have a chance of payment. <laughs> <laughs> and I swear that is not an apocryphal story. Uh, any more, Tim, before we move on to two wheels? Uh, let's move on to two wheels. It was uh, MotoGP at the weekend at the mm-hmm. fabulous Saxon Ring. I'd forgotten what such a great circuit uh, the Saxon Ring is. Very short, quite technical, lots of left-handers, not very many uh, right No, sorry, the other way around. Lots of right-handers, not very many left-handers. Uh, just a great, great circuit. Uh, not a classic race in some respects, but it kept me interested. Well, I mean, how often can you say that someone's been on pole for nine times in a row and won nine times in a row, hmm. um, you know, through three classes? Uh, Mark Marquez, every time he's been there, has been on pole. And every time he's um, 
raced his one, um, which is a relatively impressive performance. And I don't think it was ever in doubt, really. I mean, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't even trying. He managed to manage the tyres very well. And he won at, won at a canter. Mm. Um, so, yeah, and to, to add back-to-back wins uh, for the last couple of races. So he's now really extended his lead in the championship. Yep. As you say, it wasn't a great race. A few people fell off. Um, Valentino Rossi got his best result for a year in coming second. Maverick Vinales came third, which is Yamaha's best result. That was a good ride from um, that was a good ride from Vinales, Nick, because he again he managed the tyres well. Looked like he left himself too much to do, but in the last three or four laps, uh, the the tyres that he had left really stood him in good stead. And I, I thought Valley's race was pretty good as well. The odd thing really is about Vinales is that he's been doing this um, all season. He, you know, he kind of basically starts slowly, ends up many places further back, and then comes on really strongly the last three or four laps. And so you'll see him trottling down in eighth with seven or eight laps to go. And depending on the circuit, he'll pull forward to fifth or sixth. Or, and this is third. I mean, you know, this is the problem. He, he hasn't... Yamaha are now on their longest winless streak of the modern era. They haven't won for 19 races. Um, a 39-year-old is leading the team against the up-and-coming young gun who should be doing it, which is Maverick Vinales. Mm. Um, you know, they, they are a bit lost. The only, you know, cloud on the, the cloud on the silver, sorry, silver line to the cloud is because um, Danny Petros is having such a terrible uh, season, there's a good chance they might end up uh, winning the uh, team championship because mm. they are second and third. And, uh, you know, so they might manage to get Yamaha to win the Constructors' Championship. But Marquez now, it, it, it's because no one's able to put together a coherent challenge to him, um, if and he is riding back on form again, is is is, is romping away to is his fourth, his fifth Premier League championship yeah. class, his fifth one. Yeah. Um, he's a man so young, so you know, a, a, a great performance. You can't fault the boy. Uh, Rossi keeping him honest despite being what fifteen years older than him. So yeah, but then because they're not getting this summer break, so we've got a lovely long break, and they're going to go to the Czech Republic. That is a proper break that they have, you're right. Uh, Tony Desinos tweeted in at Speculatement, relaxing on a hammock at the moment, allegedly doing his lime rock prep. Well, listening to us and doing his like that. I'm not sure there's a lot of hard work going on there, TDZ. Uh, but good to know that you tuned in uh, this Wednesday afternoon. Uh, you listen to Midweek Motorsport, Series 13, Episode 27. This is the one where Tim comes back. Uh, and he is up in London. We'll go back to him in just a moment or two's time. But I want to stay on two wheels for the moment with Nick. Uh, and a, a story that has uh, sort of broken uh, this week that we were sort of trailing uh, last mm. week or the week before. I can't remember. Involving two weeks before, yeah. Two weeks ago, yes. Thank you, Nick. Um, th- th- these last few weeks have sort of melded into one. Um, mm. The uh, This is Kawasaki World Superbike news. Yeah, I mean, we, we did we did say it suddenly became very obvious uh, their Czech Republic round um, a few weeks ago that all was not well between Tom Sykes and the team. Uh, Tom Sykes has been with Kawasaki in various forms uh, for nine years and with the works team, I think, for seven. And, of course, won the World Championship the year before the amazing run of Johnny Ray started. And there's one. And actually what he does have, he's a fantastic single lap rider. He has more pole positions in World Superbikes than any other rider, I think, 44 or 45. Um, and it's, you know, it, 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 it's pretty obvious that the relationship was completely broken down. He started criticizing uh, Johnny Ray's uh, engineer. Ear, saying he was making a poisonous attitude. His performances dropped off, and his last three races have been particularly 
uninspiring. And, you know, the rumours started swirling that Leon Haslam, this is not confirmed, but it's just the rumours that Leon Haslam will be taking his ride. And of course, Leon Haslam doing very, very well in British Superbikes on, uh, a, uh, on a Kawasaki and obviously has driven in the World Superbike Championships before. So it's, you know, and so it wasn't really a surprise, you know, because it, 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 it did seem to unravel very quickly. But I suppose after a while, Tom Sykes probably got a bit bored of, you know, sticking the thing on pole and have Johnny, Johnny Ray wandering past him after four laps and, and winning the race, you know, because pole just isn't that important the motorcycle racing you know it's it is ends up with there isn't a point attached to it for any reason in a particular championship it ends up being bragging rights and no more um but you can't really cash those bragging rights in at a world championship so mm. i think tom i'm sure tom is not going to retire so a, a change is is probably what he needs and a chance to get out from johnny ray's shadow and, and start doing something different um so yeah i mean i don't, I don't think i don't think it's sad i think it's just uh it's, it's just disappointing how it unraveled before the announcement that was made uh, but not as you said not a shocker um but again you know we, seems to be a theme of tonight's program not particularly well handled either um i, I hate these things no i don't yeah uh, mm, i think i think one of the problems i would say i i, I much as i like leon haslam i think getting leon haslam would be a mistake because the last thing we need, I can't believe I'm saying this, the last thing World Superbikes needs is another Brit on a potentially winning bike. They need to find a, they need to find a big name, Southern European or American, to ride that bike. Well, this, this goes back to what we were talking about a couple of weeks ago. Does it need someone to come over from GP? Or do World Superbikes need to find someone else as you say i like the idea of someone coming over from american is there anybody in ama is there anybody that could come over from that side of things to to jump in and, and be competitive no good if they're not competitive though that is a competitive bike mm. that is a you know potential championship challenging uh, team that we are talking about all right we've, we've talked many times about the johnny ray effect and, and what that does to a to a to a teammate and particularly to the confidence of a teammate uh, who may not feel that they are getting all of the attention that their status uh, should uh, should afford them. So w- would it not be better for them to get a young up-and-coming uh, rider who really doesn't care if he's playing a little bit of second fiddle? Uh, you see, I think I think that, that what World Superbikes needs is to dig up a big name or a name that would excite a new territory. You know, a, a, an up-and-coming young Aussie, uh, a very... A, a talented American, or even if they could find a, a tie rider, I don't, I mean, I don't say the right, no, there is anyone, but because yeah, obviously the tie round and the numbers there, they get massive numbers. We'll go and watch it, and, and those sort of countries like Thailand and Malaysia will really support their local riders throughout the series and give them a chance to open up a marketplace, you know. So that's what I'm saying. I mean, obviously, the decision we made by Kawasaki and and there's probably a, a, very, a very fine choice that they will go with Leon because they're, they're not there to be altruistic. They're not interested in in the you know, the viewer numbers of, of World Superbikes and the profile of World Superbikes. They're interested in winning the event. Um, but you know, it'd be nice to see because Leon's not the youngest people. It'd be nice to see and yeah, they can find someone who, who could drop out of um, of, of, of MotoGP while still being reasonably well known and quite good. Um, that's probably what they need just to measure people against. Uh, that's Nick Damon. We're on RS1. This is Midweek Motorsports Series 13, episode 27. We'll stay on bikes as Tim Gray uh, up in London and over in London as well because I'm at Lime Rock Park for IMSA this weekend. Uh, has some British super bikes to talk about. Tim, what do you have? Musical chairs.
because uh, obviously not having uh, listened to uh, last week's show or the week before show or the week before that show, to be honest, uh, there have been some departures from teams uh, in uh, British Superbikes. Uh, Taylor McKenzie, son of, uh, has left the... Uh, Uh, Moto Rapido Ducati team uh, to return to uh, Superstock 1000 uh, on a BMW and he is going to be replaced yep. by Tommy Bridewell who uh, left uh, the Mavonu Halsall Racing Suzuki team halfway through Snetterton which was the race that happened at the same weekend as Le Mans Yes. Uh, I don't know who's replaced Bridewell at that team. Uh, but yeah, it's the first time Tommy Bridewell's uh, he, I don't think been on a Ducati. Yes, I was going to say, I think that's the first time that Tommy Bridewell's been on uh, a Ducati. Uh, British Superbikes, uh, Nick, is, uh, as we heard from Curry doing the sort of half-season update a couple of programmes ago is really on the up and up at the moment decent crowds good racing um some good names in there uh, but the, it's the racing i think that people that people are, are turning out and getting switched back on for because it, it is a bit elbows out at times but it's it, it's certainly bringing the crowds <laughs> in no it's good. i think you're right the race is being very good i mean, think about it, even though uh, leon hasman has got a massive lead in the championship of um nearly 80 points of course they they do run a race for the chase for the cup for the thing so it all gets yes. zeroed back down again if you can get in the top six and obviously at the moment um shaky burn won't be whilst he's fifth at the moment so he won't be in there obviously he's not riding in the season after the nasty accident he had in Stenton. so it does open it up for for a number of people and even oddly even if you had a if if you know tony brywell had a ridiculously good second half of the season he can still Scraping the top six. Uh, Shaky will be uh, in the pit lane for the next round, but he's going to be working for the TV company, uh, not racing, as uh, Nick said, after uh, a rather nasty accident he, in uh, testing. If he doesn't get that head brace, I'll be, if he doesn't get that head brace, I'll be frightening children as well. Well, that's, <laughs> that, that, that's true enough. Um, Tommy Bridewell hasn't ridden a twin... Uh, Superbike before hasn't ridden a Ducati before. What's what's you you ride bikes? You've ridden a number of bikes. You've done track days on bikes. You have had mm-hmm. a Ducati race bike as your track day bike. In I have eight forty eight Cup, wasn't it? Um, Fell off it. <laughs> what's the difference between qualified? that and say riding? You had a thousand RR BMW, which you tracked as well. That's a mm-hmm. four cylinder machine. What's what's the biggest difference that that Tommy's going to find with those bikes? I, I accept that he's at a bit of a different level from you, Tim, uh, Nick, rather. But I'm just sort of trying to get so. an idea. Well, basically, if you if you have a two bikes of the same capacity, a twin will have more torque, and a cylinder will have more revs. You also get more engine braking with a twin on the whole, though they do tend to negate that by using what's called a slipper clutch. Um, so the power delivery is. Um, much more you get a much more grunt from a low end so you can actually be in a you can drive out of corners better in a twin also because it doesn't 
shred the tire as much the way the pulse is the engine but the ultimate top speed and ultimate top power if you have the same capacity of course in superbikes that hasn't always been the case uh, should give the edge at the top end of the foot to the four cylinder bike which also tends to be a little bit um less you know it has less engine braking which actually can be an advantage as well what what i've found in the past and bear in mind i've not raced bikes but i've driven bikes on ridden bikes on tracks and with some gusto elsewhere he says um, <clears throat> always within the speed limits of course um, is the rolling on and off of the throttle between a multi-cylinder three or a four cylinder and a, and a twin is very different and obviously I, I, I rode fours for a long time I was Japanese bike man Suzuki's mostly uh, then I got onto two cylinder bikes and then I got onto um boxer twins with bmws where basically you lift off it's like putting the brake on them on most bikes it, it is a different it's different applying the throttle but it's also different coming off the throttle when you're coming into braking areas as well yeah, absolutely it's, that, that is the engine braking it's it's you know you've got a two big big pot of cylinders which have got big compression levels um and they, oddly you think well the four with the four cylinders be the same it's not it just doesn't have the same uh breaking effect on the rear but as i said they they, they do in some extreme cases because of, the, because of that they will have some sort of slipper clutch mechanism to stop the rear locking up um because you do so much of the braking at the front end anyway um but i mean the thing really the, the key point is that the the twins are far more soulful mm. and um the um four cylinders are far more frenetic um I think, yeah, like a lot of things, you can, you can kind of fall in love with a twin, but you respect the four. And then there's a triple, which is somewhere in the middle, which has that offbeat thrum of my triumph, which I that, love. That's, love that, yeah, that's, that, that's, that's triumph's idiom as such. And... It's, it's mega. It's mega. And you get, you get the sort of the best and the worst of both worlds, I suppose. It's, it's a very odd thing until you get used to it, because it really does sound like it's not firing properly. And of course it isn't. <laughs> and because often it, it wasn't, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, no, it isn't because it's an odd firing um, uh, order. In you know, it's it's yeah, not yeah. one two one two one two, and it's not one three four two one three or whatever. <laughs> it's it, it's one three two or something like that. It does sound a bit odd. It always sounds a bit odd, particularly on uh, acceleration. Let's uh, nip back up to London, uh, where Tim has a little more for Nick before we uh, go into half time. Uh, Nick Damon. Uh, I want to test your knowledge of uh, people who uh, used to have used to be based along the uh, perimeter, or not perimeter, along the edge of the M40. Right. Uh, so, uh, a Formula Three Thousand team that was based very near to Pro Drive. If you don't uh, know, say. Supernova? No, they're in Norfolk, aren't they? They were in Norfolk. Uh, Astromega? Arden. Ah, oh. yes, of course, Christian Horner's home. Yes. Uh, Arden is still run by Gary Horner, who is Christian's father. And they are the team who are going to be running the Aston Martins in the DTM in 2020. that definitely going to happen uh, according to rumors uh do we know who uh, is likely to be driving um whew, absolutely no idea but it, i i personally think it's very unlikely aston martin are going to invest the sort of cubic dollars that's needed to do that it just seems like putting two and two together and come up with seven to be honest uh brendan hartley nikki team 
Maxime Martin, Sebastian Buemi and Jensen Button have all been uh, linked with this. Of course, you, they you know have. what they've done. They've got John. They've got they've got John's dad's policeman's hat. They put the name of every driver in the <laughs> engine just pulled four out. Yes, uh, that listen, it's it's a lovely thought. Uh, Mercedes moving out, yeah, uh, and that leaves a space. Um, all of those people have. I mean. Nicky Team and Maxime Martin are linked with Aston Martin directly. Yeah, Maxine well, they Martin are factory drivers. Of course. Um, what car are we going to use? Um, I, I suppose we're going to use the new Vantage. Uh, I presume, Tim, what they're seeing is that with the uh, Red Bull linked with Honda, there's a potential to use a, a Honda Super GT engine when it, the makes come together, they will use the class rather than one. using a, an Aston Martin yeah, it will be the Class 1 Honda engine from Super GT. Uh, and it will be sponsored by Red Bull. So that's where the money's coming from. Nick, it's a lot of ifs and ands and two and two making more than five, I think. Certainly more than four. It's not happening. <laughs> it's not happening. If Jim wants to bet the watch on it, that's fine. This ain't happening either. What's he got? Hey, here's, <laughs> here's my question to you, though. What are Aston going to do given, you know, we talked about this on Midweek Motorsport a, a week or so ago about, you know, the potential, even if the engine regs now change, and we do get the change in the engine regs in Formula 1, that the obvious tie-up for an Aston Martin stroke Cosworth engine in Formula 1 Red Bull has now disappeared because of the Honda tie-up with with uh, Christian Horner's team um, so what else are Aston going to do, or are they just happy enough being in in sports car racing where they do pretty pretty well uh, in in all honesty but as we all know andy palmer uh, the ceo of aston martin is a very ambitious man and he might want to do some more so why not dtm i say to you mr dearman because i don't think i don't think germany is a particularly large market in the scheme of things for aston martin and it is still a regional series it's not a championship that that really stretches much outside um you know if they're going to spend some money, you know, why wouldn't they just follow everyone else and just stick Lagonda into Formula E because that's going to be their um, electronic, uh, electric car range? You know, that's that's you know would have some concept behind it. I don't see why they need to go anywhere away from Le Mans cars. Most. I don't. I don't see the advantage to that. You have to remember that whilst we get this fantastically big, you know, Aston Martin, the second or, or best brand in in in, in, in motor cars, depending on you know whether you're Italian or British. They still aren't selling a massive amount of cars. Mm. So, you know, it, you have to think, all right, I'm not Mercedes going to DTM where I sell cubic thousands of cars, millions of cars a year. I'm selling, I, I don't know what their numbers are, 7,000, 10,000 a year? Perhaps not even that yet. Um, you know, you can't, I'm all sides that to do a DTM challenge. You can do it for, for Le Mans, which is giving you a showcase in the country you need to be, China, you know, America, that sort of thing. So, lovely idea. Yeah, fantastic uh, chat around the pub. Well done, boys, but it's not going to happen. I'm going to throw out two other names for you. Lexus and Maserati for DTM. No, because Maserati is going all hybrid, and that's their, their statement. They're going to go with the first company to go all hybrid and all electric, so they're not going to race in a championship that's not hybrid and not electric. Uh, Lexus, yeah, it's possible. But it's, again, about whether they can they can satisfy the volumes. Now, I'm pretty sure, however, I'm just 
slightly counter counteracted myself, but I'm pretty sure DTM will fall over backwards to get a third manufacturer. Yeah. Um, so if, if Lexus wanted to do it, uh, and they do fit the profile, it's just whether they've got the volume sales to make it worthwhile, uh, I'm sure a way will be found to get them in with as little pain as possible. It's Nick Dearman. Uh, by the way, 5,117 is the answer. In that, that's the right. uh, yeah, uh, Thanks, Nick. Speak to you soon. Thank you. Thank Nick you. Dearman joining us on Midweek Motorsports. Uh, could I also point out that Lexus uh, sold 652,000 units worldwide last year uh, and also that uh, DTM, which only races uh, regionally in Germany, was at uh, Zandvoort and not, not in Germany at the weekend and uh, Audi won with Renault Rast behind the wheel. Midweek Motorsport. And is there any chance you could bring some dessert to the VO booth, please? Coming up in the second half of tonight's programme, more of your tweets, please, at Specutainment. We're live from Lime Rock Park here in Connecticut. Good to have your company today, ahead of uh, a weekend that offers you a choice of listening again on the Radio Show Limited Network. More about that in a little while. With any luck, we'll have Johnny Palmer to talk to us about the European Le Mans series and the Michelin Le Mans Cup, live from the Red Bull Ring this weekend. Uh, and also, of course, we'll be talking IMSA. That's all to come in the second half of tonight's show, Midweek Motorsport on RS1. Midweek Motorsport on RS1. I forgot that was the longer one. My apologies. Uh, shall I bring in another guest can uh, we bring to in the show tonight, Tim? Or have you got something you want to... Can we bring in our Canada correspondent, please? I think we can probably do that by saying hello to Shea Adam. Good afternoon, Shea. Good afternoon, John. Since we're doing the stereotype thing today, would you rather I be the stereotypical American or the wannabe Canadian? Because it's beautiful <laughs> weather up here today, eh? Hey. Being out and about. Out and about, yeah, very good. Uh, for those of you who haven't been catching up uh, with what's been going on, she is uh, taking her usual summer uh, sojourn to Cottage Company up at the uh, up near Muskoka in Lake Country in Canada. Uh, let's throw back to London for a moment. Where do you want to start with this? Are you happy for me to fire away for oh, a bit no, with, no, no. Uh, I, I, I with Sheer, Tim? I want to start very much in Canadian junior single-seater racing. Uh, and I'm sure this right, is uh, okay. something that Shea will know about uh, because it's actually an American series that was racing at Toronto at the weekend. Uh, Pro Mazda and a scary crash for Harrison Scott. Right. Oh, no. See, what you've got to understand uh, is that where Shea is at the moment, uh, Tim, is bereft of um, pretty much all connectivity. We're lucky to get her uh, on the line and she doesn't have any television or any way of catching up with stuff. So I presume you you have no knowledge of that whatsoever, Cher? 
I don't, but I do know who won the Honda Indy Toronto because they talked about it on the radio, which was super <laughs> exciting. Um, so that's something new. But no, I, I didn't know anything about any of the, the support series except for the uh, IMSA GT3 Cup Canada that Zachary Robichon won both of those because they both fell into my email. But no, go on, Tim. What's the Pro Mazda story? So Harrison Scott uh, uh, went airborne after uh, clipping the wall uh, at turn three. Uh, barreling through the air and uh, landing upside down in a runoff area. Uh, but he climbed out of the car uh, and Ooh. walked to the... Uh, or he walked to an ambulance that took him to the medical centre. He could have walked to the medical centre himself. Uh, and uh, said... Uh, so Varley had a run on me and he moved to the outside going into turn three, but as he did, he squeezed me into the inside wall. As he did, I still had half... a car to the inside of him and couldn't really get back out uh, as he carried on carried on squeezing me there was no gap I hit the wall hit his car and after that I was out of control I went over the back of his car then remember seeing a flash of yellow I remember running off and at that point I was facing the ground I remember coming down on my head first and coming to a rest at the tire wall uh, he suffered scratches to his hand not a good way to uh, to finish a, a race on what is quite an unforgiving circuit. Uh, it's it's one of the big motorsport events, the Toronto uh, Indy, at the weekend. I, I did uh, get home on Sunday evening in in time to see it. I know you didn't see the uh, see the race. It was all right. There was a bit of uh, carnage uh, in off one of the the restarts, um, but once again. Uh, our man who we tipped a little while ago has, has done another good job. Well, especially since he was uh, teammates with Dario Franchitti, who the entire country of Canada adopted as an honorary Canadian. They sort of just took Dixon under the wing when Dario retired. And uh, there are a lot of Dixon fans out there. I know we have Robert Wickens and James Hinchcliffe in the crowd as well, and uh, Zachary Clement de the three Canadians in the field this year. But there were a lot of people out there cheering for Scott Dixon, especially coming in with such a resounding championship lead, leaving with an even bigger one. It's really, we've been saying it for, for a while now, John, it's his championship if he wants it. The remarkable thing is that it would be his fifth, which puts him in rarefied air that uh, only one other man has breathed with seven championships, the great Mr. Foyt. Um, but it would be something special to see Dixon hold on to it. Have to give a huge round of applause to Robert Wickens, though, who made the podium in his first ever Toronto Grand Prix. So that's pretty emotional for the young guy from Guelph. Uh, Andretti ran out of fuel. A uh, little bit of a miscalculation there. Oops. Yeah. Not... Well, it, it happens to the best of us. Uh, Alan Prosser he has been his usual brilliant self. Uh, for those that don't know, Alan Prosser, regular uh, on the Midweek Motorsport Listeners Collective and on everything we do, is the absolute star man, uh, the king of screen grabs. He's done even better than that. He's managed to find <laughs> uh, a little bit of fan video of the uh, the crash that we were talking about. So I've just fired that into the Midweek Motorsport uh, um, Twitter uh, account. Uh, so, cr a cracking, uh, a cracking result again for Scott Dixon, who uh, increased his points lead, I think, at the weekend show, didn't he? Yeah, he's got uh, sixty-three, I want to say, points over second and third. Um, so he's he's got a very good lead. Um, but the other big story from IndyCar this week that I remember hearing whispers about 
uh, was the return of WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca to the IndyCar schedule. And I'm not sure how I feel about that because Sonoma being another Mm. Northern California event, John, I I don't know how well the two can coexist. Well, are they going to coexist? That's, That's the point. Yeah, that's the $20 million question. Right now, nothing has been announced as far as I'm aware. And again, I do apologize if this is out there on the world. Uh, My internet right now is run by a moose running on a treadmill that somehow is linking back to the cottage. Um, But seeing that uh, WeatherTech Raceway being the finale, it's where we got that infamous pass. It's where the Zanardi name became legendary. So it's going to be cool to see it back on the calendar. But I will be sad if Sonoma's taken off because I've never gone to see a race there. And that was kind of the one that I was using as an excuse. So What's interesting is that for the last, I think, dozen years in the Verizon IndyCar series, the championship hasn't been decided until the last race on the schedule. So being last on the schedule is worthwhile and it should bring you a crowd. Everything that I've seen from official sources has um, studiously avoided talking about this being a second race in the area, about it you know, being kept away from Sonoma on the schedule. Um, I, I, hmm. Maybe I'm, again, reading too much into that, but it would be a shame to lose Sonoma because you know, it, it has been on the, on the schedule for a while. Yeah, and it's paid its dues. It's something that really, it's become a staple of the calendar year. Like you said, the championship coming down to the wire. We had that great moment a couple years ago when Scott Dixon on the last lap won the championship over Juan Pablo Montoya by winning the race and Montoya not getting up far enough up the grid. It's been a place for some really good racing. The other thing that I'm really wondering about, though, is our connection with it, John, because the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship goes there in early September. So if this race is going to be happening in late September or mid-September, given where that's the IndyCar calendar normally ends, how are those two going to coexist together as well? Isn't there a World Challenge race around that time as well there? So September Uh, could all of a sudden become a... Middle of October. Right, so September and October could be a very, very busy time, and that might not be the best thing in terms of attracting crowds to all of those events exactly it might cannibalize them a little bit uh, one taking away fans from the other because you might get fans who maybe wanted to go to the indy car race but then realize that the sports car race is two cars before and hey they like seeing porsches yeah. and lamborghinis a little bit more than they like seeing a spec car you never know uh, it's going to be interesting and the only way to find out is to actually have it play out to see how the crowds are affected hopefully it benefits us all and jill campbell's racetrack comes out looking great as it always does well i'll be uh, looking very uh, carefully at my race calendar, September 20th to 22nd. The rest of the series uh, calendar still to be announced. I know Tim will be very uh, excited uh, excited about that. But congratulations to the uh, management team there under Jill Campbell uh, for pulling off what seems to be a bit of a coup. More IndyCar news now. Let's nip back over to London where Tim has this. Because uh, uh, it's not just the race and, uh, that we need to talk about and the return of Laguna Seca, but another return, and that was in testing at Mid-Ohio yesterday, where Pietro Fittipaldi was back behind the wheel of an Indy car. This is an extraordinary story, Share uh, Anybody who, and, and you and I watched this um, uh, watched the, the scary video of Pietro Fittipaldi going straight on at Spa uh, 
which mm. uh, was a, a horrible looking accident uh, had very complicated fractures uh, in his in his legs and he's back behind the wheel already these guys are wired differently aren't they they really are. And Pietro, who, as soon as he came back over to the United States, he had the best uh, doctors around him. He went straight to pit pit. And as far as I can tell, he's been training at that gym in Indianapolis just about every day. They posted a video. I, I seem to remember it was about a week or so after he first got back. He rolled up his wheelchair because, remember, each leg was in a cast. He rolled up a wheelchair to a pull-up bar where there were bands hanging down grabbed the bands and started doing pull-ups. He must have done 10 or 12. And you're thinking, hang on a second. This kid was lying flat on his back in a hospital room about a week ago. Now he's doing pull-ups and he's using his casts as weights. And sure enough, you just see more and more videos from their social media of Pietro doing all these training activities that the uh, gym instructors at Pitfit have created for him. It's been this entire global effort to get this kid back in a race car and i can't wait to see what he can actually do when he does because you know the accident wasn't his fault it was a fluke it could have happened to anyone driving it was him and it resulted in both of his legs being damaged so now he's trying to get out there and prove to everyone hey i'm not damaged goods i'm back i'm better than ever and guess what i'm in an indy car i missed the 500 but I'm not going to miss another race. It's a wonderful story, and I hope he does well at Mid-Ohio. We've seen great stories of comebacks from big injuries in IndyCar. Uh, think of Sebastian Bourdieu uh, in, in particular. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so, I mean, if you'll pardon the pun, which is entirely, uh, entirely meant, uh, he's following in big footsteps here, but it, it can be done. And this is just, I think, just testament to the mental strength of these guys, not just the physical strength. And you can, by the way, you can add Hinch into that as well in, in recent times as well. And, and there's plenty going back, back a ways. Yeah, for sure. Uh, these drivers, it, it's something that my dad has always talked about that whenever you see a really bad accident, the way your brain is wired is to think it's not going to happen to me or it can't happen to me. So when these drivers get involved in a really mm. bad wreck, they immediately think it's not going to happen to me again. The, the fear is there initially, but they learn to sort of put it away in a secret little cavity. And how they are able to do this, their mental acuity and prowess to, to accomplish something like this is beyond human. It's something that doctors need to study more. It's really something special, especially for a young kid like him. We always say that youngsters haven't learned fear well, he had a crash that would instill enough fear in most people to sit in a padded room for the rest of their lives. And he's saying, no, I want to go 200 miles an hour again. I want to get out there. I missed my shot at the Indy 500. I want to go out there and win it. Uh, it's crazy. Uh, particularly when it wasn't his fault, as you say, when it was something that was beyond his control. Uh, let's take a few uh, tweets here. Uh, hello to Ollie Wiley. Oliver Wiley says, I won't be able to join you at all from my garden this weekend for Lime Rock. I've got to go to Glasgow for a 21st birthday, but I'll... Make sure that I'm back out by the campfire for Road America. Um, well, you will be able to listen sure. on the uh, archive, of course. Uh, and uh, let me see. Uh, according to the Monterey Herald, says Carol Brink, who lives in Monterey, IndyCar promises a $300,000 reduction in sanctioning fees if the Monterey Grand Prix is scheduled within a week of the IMSA event. And I'm told as well that there is a 
date potential date clash with a ver another very popular event, which is the Monterey Jazz Festival, which already uh, attracts something like 30,000 visitors. Well, sure, you and I know that it's a lovely area and there's quite a choice of hotels, but it's not uh, replete with spare hotel rooms when IMSA turn up. So 30,000 people in for the Jazz Festival plus an IndyCar race on the same weekend. That doesn't sound too brilliant from my point of view. Um, I think we might be staying in San Francisco in that case, John. <laughs> we'll oh, just, my goodness. We'll just helicopter in. That's, that's the only thing <laughs> yes. to do. Yes. Uber We could take a, a flight down daily from San Francisco to Monterey. No, that's... Um, hmm. Well, that Carol knows best. Um, so I think if I just suck up to Carol enough, maybe she'll take me to Hula's and then I can sleep on her floor. <laughs> I think she might be having... 29,000 people sleeping on our floor the way it goes. You listen to the Midweek Motorsport Series 13, episode 27. We're live at Lime Rock. We're going to talk IMSA now and we'll talk about the weekend in a moment. After uh, news on the dairy products industry as a whole from Tim Greer. Uh, what's the trip to Wisconsin without a little cheese? Do carry on. I was waiting for a reaction from Shay. She obviously doesn't uh, care. But uh, racer Jao Barbosa. No, I, I, I'm, I'm making sure. Carry on. Uh, racer Jao Barbosa got a taste of what it must be like to be a Green Bay Packers fan on Tuesday during a promotional visit to help spread the world about word about the oncoming Continental Tire Road Race Showcase weekend at Road America's Elkhart Lake. Uh, he's currently 12th in the IMSA WeatherTech Championship prototype class driver standings. The uh, team, uh, Mustang sampling team, which includes co-drivers Felipe Albuquerque. Oh, if only I'd read this far ahead, I could play the jingle. Christian Fisipaldi is second in the prototype team standings, just one point behind the number 31. Wheeling Engineering Cadillac team of Eric Cohen, Felipe Nazza and Mike Conway. This is basically a story that Joao Barbosa I, I actually quite like this because cheese. this is quite clearly a bit of cheese about cheese. I think this is quite clever by the uh, by the IMSA PR and press department here, Shear. Um, not, not, we did not play the pointless press release of the read because that kind of tickles me. I, I see what they did there. That was clever. What, what did, did, please tell me they made him wear a cheese hat. Did they did they put the cheese head on Joao Barbosa for the picture? Yes, they did. That's the question, Tim. Yes, they did. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, it, it, oh, that's amazing. He's wearing the that's hat. Exactly Poor Joao. Wow. Well, it's a big weekend, of course. That's uh, that weekend for the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship and for IMSA generally, because it has now become uh, that, that's a bit of a you know tongue-in-cheek frivolous uh, promo for a couple of events ahead. Uh, or an event ahead, yeah, a couple of events ahead. Um, well, and especially, John, that's supposed to be his return to the series. Rao is uh, due back at Road America with his wrist hopefully recovered enough. So uh, Cheesy just got a, a little bit less cheesy. And it's also, of course, when Scott Atherton will be standing up to give the now traditional, even earlier in the preceding season, uh, state of the season update and schedule for the following year, lots to talk about with a new TV partner, new presenting partners as well. So I, I suggest that the next time we're talking about a press release from IMSA about the uh, about Road America, it will be um, 
a little bit more serious, but I like the fact that they've um, seen the opportunity to do something um, a little bit tongue-in-cheek uh, on that. Shows, I always think that shows a series that um, is comfortable uh, with itself when it does that. Very good. Um, uh, this weekend, let's focus on this weekend uh, for a moment uh, because it's the annual trip to Lime Rock Park being a big part of IMSA racing forever and a day. In fact, in Marion's at lunchtime today, <laughs> I was watching the 1987 race, um, which uh, was uh, up on the on the screens, the archive of, of which is available on uh, a number of well-known uh, video uh, archive sites. Uh, Bob Varsha and Lynn St. James hosting and commentating. Uh, with Wow. Yes, I know. Fantastic. With uh, the Porsche... Uh, 962s with the all group C cars, the spices, all of that sort of stuff. And with Rob Dyson driving with a very, very young looking James Weaver in what I think was probably only their first or second year here uh, in, uh, in that form of racing. So it goes back. There's a huge amount of history here. Your dad raced here. Uh, yeah, and won. And won here. Yes, and won here. Yeah. What I couldn't get over, of course, is I'd forgotten completely because I'm so used to it the way that we've had it all the years that I've been here now. No chicane um, at the bottom of the hill and straight up. And the 962's getting popping, the lone brow 962 popping its front wheels off the ground at the, at the top of the hill. <laughs> it's brilliant, isn't it? We have an opportunity for that because the Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge cars run without the chicane. Mm. So other tech cars run with the chicane. So we might get some GT4 cars popping a wheel here or there, John. Yeah, and, and just the two series this weekend, which allows the IMSA paddock to have quite a truncated weekend. It's effectively, in fact, it's not effectively, it is Friday and Saturday. There's local ordinance about racing here on, on a Sunday because of the proximity of the church uh, right I'm looking straight across the road at it at it now, uh, <laughs> effectively. Um, so the, there's local ordinance about not running on a Sunday, but bringing the class, the, bringing the two, uh, bringing the event down to just two series uh, allows it just to be a two-day race. So it's a bit, uh, it's got a, a, a slightly different feel to it, and of course that means we get two races on Saturday. Yeah, and it is going to be. Fun. I am not at all upset about the fact that we only have two series this weekend because it is totally quality over quantity. When you look at the cars that we've got entered, not only in the GTLM and the GTD classes, but then you go into Conti and you look at GS, you look at the way that the championship has shaped out as to now where the Porsche that was leading for the majority of the time is now down into third, a BMW is in second, a Ford is in first, and a Mercedes is in fourth, just in terms of the driver's championship. And then we come to a place like Limerick Park where everything we know from the season so far gets thrown up in the air, jumbled around, and then thrown out the window. It's such a different <laughs> track that it's going to be so much fun to see how everybody can sort of bounce back. It, it's the start of the second half of the season for Conti, in a sense. So there's no more excuses with trying to learn your TCR cars. We're well into the swan song of the ST cars. Everybody knows what they have underneath them. And they know that they need to perform better or maintain their performance in some cases. It's just going to be an all-out, elbows-out, don't crash the car and practice one because if you do, you might not start the race kind of weekend. Yeah, because it is that tight. That's a very good point. And we talked about this uh, at the last race, but I, you know, being here now, looking at the Sam 
Causey Strait. Uh, by the way, it's, it's lovely weather. I had a big thunderstorm which delayed uh, my flight into JFK yesterday, but that just meant that I didn't get quite as much traffic uh, on, on the way up. It's looking very green around here, but I'm just reminded how tight this place is. And we talked about potentially what a plot spoiler the TCRs could the TCR cars could be here in the Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge here because they are quick. They are particularly quick through the corners, and this is going to suit them down the ground around here. This is going to be an extraordinary opportunity for the TCR cars because it's the first time that they can have a real go at mixing it up. We've seen in qualifying times and in practices when it was wet, the Audis got close to the rest of the field, the GS field. But when you come to Lime Rock and it's not going to be three or four seconds a lap slower, it's going to be maybe three or four tenths a lap slower. Mm. They are going to be messing with the strategy of some of the cars that qualified toward the back of the field. Then you throw in the fact that we've got a couple additional TCR cars back this weekend. We didn't have the Volkswagen running up in Canada because it is difficult for some teams to actually cross the border. I say that with no sense of humor whatsoever. It, it is a real issue for the smaller teams. We've got uh, two new teams joining with Audis, and then we've got that car of Tom O'Gorman and Kenton Cook back running oh, again quick. for the E-Euro parts. So they've got their second car. There could be a lot of strategy playing out, and it might not be the Compass cars that come out on top at Lime Rock nearly as dominant as they have been this year. I still think that what we'll be talking about in the race is the TCR cars getting amongst the GS cars, the GT4 cars at the head of the field, and also with the way the pit stops work and the fuel capacity and fuel mileage that the TCRs get. A TCR car, if we've got any amount of green going on uh, around the pit stop, the normal pit stop times, uh, I, I'm absolutely certain we'll see a TCR car lead again. That wouldn't be the first time. But I think that it's going to be a lot harder for the GS cars if, there's, if there aren't that many gray, uh, yellow flag interruptions. Uh, I think it's going to be a lot harder for the GS cars to be able to fight their way back through. If they are genuine passes for position share, not people going a lap down, then battles coming through the field, people who've made mistakes, people who've got out of sequence, that's going to make life very difficult for some of those GS cars. There's going to be one legitimate passing opportunity per lap for the Pretty GS much. cars if that does happen on TCR because I don't think they can get them going up in the run into the chicane on the backside of the course. I think their only chance is going to have a really good uh, run through the final corner and then into turn one, which could make for a lot of frustrated GS drivers. Yes. And keep in mind, blue flag's not waving if you're fighting for a position on track. doesn't yeah. matter if you're in a different class. Good track point. position is track position. We uh, could see a lot of tempers flaring. Yes, I, I wonder if we see frustration. Uh, we'll talk about the WeatherTech Championship uh, in a moment. Just go to the tweets coming in at uh, at Specutainment here on Midweek Motorsport. Jonathan Main says, Lime Rock, it's like Pembrey, isn't it? Um, I've, I've, ra uh, I've raced at Anglesey, I've been to Pembrey, and it's, it is a bit like Pembrey, except it's just so fast. Shockingly, because it's the shortest track that we go to it vies for the the top speed in terms of average top lap speed with the longest track we go to which comes up shortly actually and that's road america jonathan so it's we you'll hear people talking about it being the little bull ring it's as close to an oval as we get here but it's an oval that has 
topographical changes. It's a bit uphill, down deal. And the, there's a couple of corners that are exceptionally fast and committed, notably the diving turn coming back onto the San Posey Strait. That really takes commitment around here. It, an extraordinary place uh, to... Uh, to, to come and watch motor racing. And and, and by the way, it's been sanitised a little bit since those days I was talking about in the 1980s because one of the things is that there are curbs on the exits of that diving turn now where it used to be a white line and then a couple of inches of drop-off and just grass. <laughs> it's an extraordinary place uh, to be uh, to be racing cars at and a, a real throwback and brilliant because... Uh, of that and don't forget that continental race that Shea was just talking about will be live whether you're here in the uh, North American region or further afield uh, all of the continental tyre sports car channels live in sound and vision uh, will have uh, all of the WeatherTech uh, championship sessions live in audio on over on RS2 IMSA radio we'll have most of the continental sessions as well depending on how the schedule is now uh, apologies I haven't quite looked at that uh, but the race for continental is live. The qualifying is live. Again, there's no geoblocks for either uh, of those. Uh, that streaming video with trackside audio from IMSA Radio. On Sun on Saturday, the second race on Saturday is the WeatherTech race. We'll talk about that with Shea in a moment. That will be for international uh, listeners and viewers. That will be live in sound and vision uh, on IMSA.tv and RadioLamont.com as well. Where here in the States, I think it's another tape delay race on Fox FS1, uh, but you better check your local local listings for that. Which brings us nicely around to the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, the feature race, the second race on Saturday. My goodness, what a great value ticket that is uh, on Saturday. If you can get to it, uh, come come down and have a look. And a couple, obviously, headline here is that it will be a GT car that wins overall. Really good opportunity for Corvette, who two years ago took their 100th win as Corvette Racing to take their 100th win in uh, North American competition. They've been sitting on 99 for a, a wee while. And frankly, I wouldn't bet against them doing it. No. And would you like to know something quite staggering, John? Go on. Antonio Garcia has never won at Lime Rock Park in IMSA. He's come second twice. Uh, Jan Magnussen has won twice. Ollie Gavin has four wins at the track, and Tommy Milner with that win in 2016 to claim the 100th win for Corvette Racing. But to think that it's one of the few remaining tracks that the duo, the championship-winning duo of Gav, uh, of Mags and Garcia have not yet stood on the top step of the podium together that's something that needs to be fixed. So they'll be looking to set that right. But it's going to be a hard fight, uh, mainly against their championship rivals right now, because the Fords, the 67 Ford of Ryan Briscoe, this is basically his home track. He's won here twice. He lives in Connecticut, just up the street. Richard Westbrook has never won at Lime Rock Park, but he's won pole there a couple of times. Yeah. And they'll be fighting against Joey Hand and Dirk Mueller, who sit just behind the three Corvette in the championship standings. Dirk Mueller, who won in 2011, my first ALMS race for a long time. And uh, Joey Hand, he's got five podiums at the track, so it's going to be really hard. And then we get to the Porsches. You look at what they have managed to accomplish there. It's been a Porsche track as long as it's been Lime Rock Park. Last year, they took the pole. Uh, it was Jimmy Bruni who got the pole, and then it was the sister car, Patrick Pile and Dirk Werner, who took the first win of the new shape Porsche uh, for the car. So really impressive history that they've got there. 
it's BMW's home ground. What are they going well, to be able to pull out of the bag? Shit, I'm telling you now, I think that BMW could have a really good weekend here. I've got a feeling that this will suit the BMW M8, which we saw. And let's not forget, you know, it's it's not quite on the pace yet. Um, the But the... I think the layout of the track suits the BMW. It led on strategy, got to the lead on strategy at Canadian Time Motorsport Park, but it didn't get eaten up and blown away. Held the lead for more than a handful of laps as uh, the race went back to green. And I think the combination here of the medium fast and fast corners might be struggling down the San Posey straight because I think it's still a draggy car. BMWs have tended to be as they sit you uh, over the last uh, couple of iterations of their uh, IMSA cars. But I think the BMWs might surprise a few people here. I think you're spot on, John. And the other thing is that it's a very hard track to make a clean pass at. We saw that a couple of years ago. There were some uh, frustrations that reared their ugly head. Uh, I think it was actually between Earl Bamber and Dirk Werner, if I remember correctly, coming through the final turn where they both wound up in the tire barrier. Mm. It's been a track where if you can't make a pass cleanly and you nerf somebody off, you're going to get a penalty, which is going to put you a lap down anyway. But the BMWs, if they can get to the front, they can stay there as long as they make it hard to pass, as you said, down that Sam Posey straight. John Edwards and Yessi Crone, both with a lot of experience, well, both with experience at Lime Rock Park. Alexander Sims did the race last year. And Connor D. Filippi, who learned how to drive through the Skip Barber Racing School, he's got quite a few laps around that place, too. Yes, he has. I think they might just be a dark horse pick this weekend, which is kind of ridiculous to say because it's practically BMW's backyard. Uh, and they will bring a lot of fans here as well and a lot of corporate guests. Now, in a similar situation to what I said about the TCRs in Continental Tires, I think that we might see, again, the plot spoilers coming from the secondary class. GT Daytona cars, insanely quick in a straight line, possibly quicker. Uh, it, it's in certain configurations, depending on how much they trim the cars out, than the GT Le Mans cars. And again, if strategy plays its hand, they go a little bit longer than the GT Le Mans cars. You could see the battle for the lead in... GT Le Mans coming up on the battle of the, for the lead in the race overall, but not in the same class. It could be a GT3 cars, and if it is one, it's likely to be three or four, as we've seen in the last few races, because <laughs> GT Daytona has been so close, and that could really provide us with some mind-blowing excitement. Uh, it would be all 11. I have no doubt that all 11 <laughs> are going to be right there fighting for the lead. Uh, the biggest difference in the entry list this week and we've got a couple of things to talk about there, but the car that's been on pole the last two weeks that Jack Hawksworth has put it there at, uh, it was Watkins Glen, Canadian Tire Motorsport Park, Mid-Ohio, was the number 15, the red Lexus, Jack Hawksworth mm. driving it. His usual partner in crime this weekend, David Hennemeyer Hansen, not in the car, not available this week. He has been replaced by Super Mario Farnbacher. You're putting Hawksworth and Farnbacher in a car together. Oh, my goodness. In a car that we already know is stupid fast. Mm. 
Mm. Oh, good grief. That could be a recipe for disaster. And by disaster, I mean greatness. Yes, <laughs> and a recipe for disaster for everybody else because when those Lexus have rolled off the truck quickly, they have been quick all weekend, and all of a sudden they seem to have found a sweet spot on the setup for those cars. Uh, in the, I mean, you mentioned mid-Ohio. Obviously, that was the big high uh, for them, and they've you know kept that momentum going, not perhaps with the results that you saw at, at mid-Ohio, but it still uh, looks uh, it still looks very good for them as they uh, as I say as they have been uh, generally speaking they have been very good that those that Lexus uh, that Lexus team have been very good indeed when they've come off the the truck. Uh, quickly, uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsports uh, Series 13, Episode 27. Uh, you were going to run us through some of the uh, entry list uh, changes, but uh, by the way, we've got some some other news as well. If we're talking about GTD as we were, great news for the GTD drivers battle share because we have got a battle now between the top two crews or the top one and a half crews for the rest of the season. I would say top two crews. Oliver Parent is still in it. He's still sure. fighting hard on Catherine Legg's behalf. Uh, that car back again for this race and confirmation that the serious X-Censored MSR Acura will be running the completion of the season. So that means that the three-point battle on our hands coming into this weekend between Brian Sellers, Madison Snow in the 48 Paul Miller Lamborghini and the Acura of Catherine Legg it's going to go on all the way through Petit Le Mans. Yay! Sorry. Sorry, Nick. Had to say the yay. Um, that is very exciting, and we're very, very happy to see that going on. And if Catherine can keep up the good streak and somehow pull out the championship, that means we would have a female champion three years in a row. So that would be pretty cool oh, as well a very good point, in yeah. GTD. Uh, right. Other uh, items of note from the entry list here? Uh, the other items of note, we've got the 16 Wright Motorsports Porsche back after its weekend at uh, Canadian Tire Motorsport Park. They missed the long weekend at Watkins Glen. So this means it's going to be the closest home race for Michael Shine that he'll get all year since he is a New York native. Uh, it's Jeff Seagull back in the number 63, the Scuderia Course Ferrari with Cooper McNeil again this weekend. And as Still no Balzan. Time, I... Still no Balzan in that car. No, still no balls on, but he has been at the track every weekend. Yes. Uh, he has been sitting on the pit box wearing a beautiful white polo that says Scuderia Course and professional black pants. So he looks like a member of the team, just not driving. It, it's still very odd what's going on there. Uh, and what else have we got of note on the entry list? Um, one other car that the last time I checked, which was uh, when the last Moose was running on the treadmill and the Wi-Fi, or not the Wi-Fi, but the internet was connected to the world, uh, there were still no drivers listed against the Turner Motorsport BMW, which is always a car to watch for at Lime Rock Park. They've won there a quadrillion times before, and that's a mild underestimate. Um, last I'd heard, though, it was going to be Robbie Foley and Bill Arlen running that race, which would not surprise me because it's Robbie Foley's home track. And given how well they were running at Canadian Tire Motorsport Park before they had the contact with the number 58 Wright Motorsport Porsche, they will be a team looking for vengeance as well. So the 96 might not be a bad choice for a car to win if you're going to go to a casino and bet. But 11 
GTD cars running this weekend, mm. and I can safely say that any of the 11 could be on the podium, let alone win the race. Is it Bill Oberlin, do we think, back in that Turner car again? It's been a bit of a revolving door for that car, but I'll tell you one thing. The guys at Turner know how to put a car together because whoever's been in it, the car's been successful and it's been competitive right the way through. It's been a revolving door, but the, the door seems to move pretty well. Um, <laughs> I would imagine true. that if it's Robbie Foley back in the car, it would be Bill with him again, especially since Bill's got such a great history with Lime Rock. That's, that was my point. Uh, exactly. Okay, Shay, so that's what we can look forward to. Friday and Saturday, check the schedule at the bottom of RadioLamont.com for details of our live coverage. And remember that the Saturday race uh, and the Saturday qualifying for uh, both the uh, the Saturday Conti race and the Saturday qualifying for the WeatherTech, wherever you are, there's no geoblock on it. You'll be able to watch and listen. Obviously, all of the audio is always available without a geoblock. If you're in North America, it's FS1 for the feature race on Saturday. If you're further afield, uh, you will be out uh, you would be able to watch and listen uh, to our coverage. But there is another story, and this is a story that we hoped we wouldn't have to tell um, in some ways, Shay. It, we started to talk about this in broad terms. We're back in, I, I, was it January at the day, the Rolex 24, or was it at the, the Raw before? I can't remember which, which one it was. I I think it was at the Rolex uh, because I think Johnny Palmer was there. We oh, were yes. definitely standing in the booth looking over the entire trioval and, and the rest of the that's track. The, that that's matter. the memory that I have standing in our booth talking about it in a relatively early practice session um, and not certainly in the race. That was the story we were t- sorry, no, that was at Midweek Motorsport. It that, was midweek. It was Midweek Motorsport. You're right. It was at Daytona at the Rolex 24. Excellent memory, Shay. Uh, and well, we I'm t- glad that you have the memory too, because that means that I didn't just make it up. <laughs> mm, okay, good news. Um, then we were talking about business news and Bacardi Martini taking over the Patron Spirits Company. Uh, Ed Brown uh, has been a great supporter of the series. Uh, and we said then, oh, what will that mean to the sponsorship? And we didn't know. Well, this week we found out. Uh, after a long and very fruitful and successful partnership, uh, ESM Extreme Speed Motorsport will no longer be running the beautiful green and black cars because Tequila Patron is withdrawing sponsorship from sports car racing. It's a very sad day, and all good things do have to come to an end. Uh, not something, as you said, that was completely unexpected, but it still... <sighs> It doesn't leave a bitter taste in the mouth. It, it leaves a tequila taste yeah. in the mouth. We knew it was going to happen eventually. It's just sad to see that it finally has come. Uh, the TPNAEC will just be the NAEC from now on. And um, should stress here that this, this, this is uh, it's going to run till the end of the season. Uh, their sponsorship yes. runs to the end of the season, uh, which is when all their contracts were headed to anywhere. So if they've been continuing, it would have been a renewal. Uh, and uh, that I, I believe that was the same for ESM as well. Um, the big question that everybody's asking, and I don't know the answer to this, is what happens to Scott Sharp and ESM? Clearly, they won't be Tequila Patron sponsored, but they've got a car that is insanely quick. All right, let's, let's put aside the problems that they've had with engines 
recently, a bit of a logistics issue uh, about how many units they had, when they were getting them rebuilt with a quick turnaround period. That's cost them and it meant they had to go down to one car. But that car is a fast car. It's a set of fast drivers, but they don't have a sponsor going into 2019's season. And the Nissan deal isn't really a Nissan deal. It's a Nismo engine supply on a customer side of things. So what next for Scott Sharp and ESM? It puts them in a very interesting position. They intend to keep on racing, but what it basically means is that the remainder of the season, that car becomes a giant billboard. Even though it has tequila Patron written all over it, it is one of those billboards that you see on the side of the highway that says, advertise your product here. Space for We go to Road America, a track that they, (laughs) yes, space available. Um, They won at Road America last year. They won at Petit Le Mans last year. And we've got one other track to go to, and that's Mazda Race, or WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca. I'll put a dollar in the jar for that. I'm sorry. They've got three prototype races left this year to stamp their mark. They look at what a great organization we have. Don't you want to be a part of it? Yeah, and that is something that they can take to all kinds of sponsors now that they don't have any brand loyalty, any need to stay true to anyone in particular, it's a blank sheet of paper. And for the Extreme Speed Motorsport organization, it is uncharted waters, but it's also a great new opportunity. There are manufacturers out there that want to be in a DPI. Well, now they've got a great established team to try and do it with. Yeah, and in fairness, actually, Shea, you make a good point there because the business model that they have used is slightly different from everyone else. They did the deal to get the engine, effectively a GT3 engine, uh, and then uh, the chassis supplier and their sponsors came up with the money to do the aero package. That's slightly different from how the other OEMs have got involved. So perhaps not even staying with Nissan, perhaps the chance to go with someone else but use the same model. Shea, I'll see you later on in the week. Looking forward to the weekend immensely. Yeah, see you tomorrow, John. Cheers, Shea. Shea Adam, our Continental Tire pit lane reporter uh, for the weekend. Uh, You're listening to Midweek Motorsports Series 13 episode number 27 and tim gray has been listening into all of that back up in london where would you like to go next uh tim sorry uh shay's gone and uh she wouldn't have been any use for this uh part of or this story anyway uh, as she's uh, been without television uh because it means she won't have seen monday night's jimmy kimmel live Ah, right, okay. Uh, where uh, Danica Patrick was the guest, and she told a story uh, of uh, her meeting with the Dalai Lama in India. Really? Yes. Uh, she said, Go ahead. The Dalai Lama didn't initially know who she was, but became familiar with her work by watching a compilation of crashes. Oh, dear. Yes. That's the end of that story, really. Uh, uh, she is presenting the SB well, she's presenting tonight. The SBs tonight as well, yes. actually. Yes. Yes. Um, which I thought was interesting. Uh, I haven't seen her doing TV presentation before, but I'm actually quite looking forward to that. I actually do like the SBs. You'll, you'll be able to watch it as well. Uh, you're let's in the see right if continent. we can speak to. Exactly. Uh, let's see if we can link up with our. 
uh, lead commentator for the European Le Mans series in the Michelin uh, Le Mans Cup. Johnny Palmer is joining us tonight. Hello, JP. How are you? Good evening, John. I'm very well, thank you. Oh, uh, never that. am I happier to be at a racetrack. And secondly, at a railway station. And you find me at uh, pretty much the busiest in the country, Clapham Junction. Oh, fant- What's the place to be talking to you from? Fantastic. Oh, our railway <laughs> correspondent as well. Uh, JP, after a little bit of a break uh, for Le Mans, uh, it's back to action at the Red Bull this weekend for the ELMS. You and Graham Goodwin on duty for us for Michelin Le Mans Cup. Uh, and the, the, the big event, of course, is the ELMS. Uh, into the second half of the season now, what should we be watching out for this weekend? Yeah, uh, well, this is the third race of the year, isn't it? So after this race, we will be halfway because uh, the next race, and I need to still get used to this, Silverstone being the fourth race of the year, and then we've still got trips to Belgium and to Portugal to come. But, um, I mean, it's another fantastic entry. 18 LMP2 cars, the same number of LMP3 machines too, and uh, still the GTEs for me need a little bit of injection of interest, but six cars is enough to provide us with uh, an entertaining battle throughout the four hours. It's quite a short circuit, so uh, mm. but, but doesn't it cover some ground in terms of, undulation i mean it's stuck right on the side of a valley in the in the styrian out and one of the most picturesque circuits that we visit through the course of the year um it's alex alex mcdowell liam griffin and miguel molina who lead the gt championship at the moment for jmw motorsport they were le mans winners in 2017 but it's pretty tight actually in the gtes there is an opportunity this weekend on a bit of a crest of a wave for uh, the guys at Spirit of Race to, to gain more points because they were winners last time out in uh, Italy at the, the Monza circuit. So well done to uh, Aaron Scott and to Matt Griffin uh, and to, to, uh, yeah, to the, uh, the team run, by, as I say, by the kind of Italian stroke Swiss squad. Uh, they didn't score well, though, at Paul Ricard. So they're still quite a way down in the points. There's opportunity for them to get well and truly up there. LMP3 is just so tight to call. I mean... One of the highlights for me during the weekend is the LMP3 qualifying, where you get probably five or six different team names at the top of the chart through the course of only a 10-minute session. Uh, and then it's really difficult to judge how the LMP3s are getting on because they have this system of uh, two time-limited pit stops, and then the third one can be as short as you like. But what it tends to do is uh, really kind of randomise the field because some teams choose to, choose to do their shorter stop at the start of the race, some choose to do it at the end. So it all comes together during that final stint. But Graham and I are often scratching our heads, wondering how that's going to pan out. Giorgio Mondini, and a bit of a star, actually, unknown to me at the start of the year, but Kay Van Berlo, very much on my radar now, mm. topping the LMP3 field. And in LMP2, courtesy of a win last time out with a certain Jean-Éric Verne, but he, had, he didn't do the opening round at Paul Ricard. So it's Roman Rusinov and Andrea Pizzitola, again, a young man, but with plenty of speed, and they lead the championship by just a point from Francois Perodo, Mathieu Vazivier, and Loic Duval. I'll tell you one thing that I'm noting is, with fewer World Endurance Championship races this year, certainly in the kind of meat of the summer season, we're getting so many stars now yes. taking part in the ELMS. Yeah, that, that, that's a very good point. Uh, did I read somewhere uh, as that uh, Alex Capadia? Uh, is back for uh, RLR M Sport this weekend, or did I imagine that? 
No, that's that's correct. Yes, Alex uh, has been a, a regular runner with RLRM Sport, the British team, and um, also for people like um, uh, oh man, name escapes me now. It'll come back to me just as soon as I finish the sentence. I'm sure John Hartshorn. There you yes, go. People well like done. John Hartshorn. Um, you know, he he provides not only a very quick teammate to race the car with, but also a mentor as well. And I still remember actually back in the last year when. I caught Alex on a on his little scooter um, out partway round the Esteril circuit, just watching John through the same corner, lap after lap, trying to work out whether that line was the best or not. And, it, you know, the, we've said this many times, but your faster driver in the combination, silver or gold driver, takes on a wholly different role when they're trying to coach your gentleman driver, your bronze-graded driver, to try and get a bit quicker and, you know, breaking the circuit down into individual breaking points, individual corners, and trying to get the maximum through each bit of the lap. Uh, the racing's been phenomenal this year, both in the uh, Michelin Le Mans Cup and in the uh, main race. Uh, it's, a, it's a fairly compact and, and busy weekend. Um, the only thing that... Is slightly disappointing, and you and I have talked about this before, is the GT entries in the European Le Mans series. And again, you know, post-Le Mans, we've got, what, six cars uh, in the GT category. I mean, there's no doubt of, of the quality there, but it'd be nice to have just a couple more, wouldn't it? it certainly, yeah, and that's my point heading into the weekend, because, you know, the racing is tremendous, and, you know... Every all of those six cars are potential winners and not just at the start of the race, really going into the final half an hour. Most of them mm. are in contention. Um, the nice thing is that we've now got the new Porsches because that's a customer car, of course, uh, in the past, the works Porsche with the engine and gearbox reversed in the machine. That, that was purely a, a car that could be run by, you know, Porsche as a factory team, Manti or otherwise. But now that's descended into, uh, the capability for teams like EB Motors and Proton Competition to run that car, that looked really strong at Paul Ricard, and to be honest, barely touchable by the others. But it's nice to have seen a Ferrari win in Italy last time out at Monza, so we know that the 55 squad from Spirit of Race can be quick. Likewise, JMW Motorsport with their pedigree in the ELMS. So, you know, and Crone Racing as well. Mm. You know, Tracy Crone continuing to come back to Europe to race, and he's got some great guys alongside him. Obviously, Nick Johnson. That's yep. been the case for about 40 years. I'm joking, <laughs> but uh, yeah. at least 20 years. And that isn't a joke. Uh, and Andrea Bertolini, who is just still supersonic in anything Ferrari or, or Maserati-based. So, uh, you know, six cars all could win the race. But wouldn't it be great to have another four, maybe, yeah. in the entry? And I don't know. You know, the cars are out there because... We see them in things like the WEC and at Le Mans as well. I mean, yeah. a tremendous entry in the in the GTE AM category. So, how to get them to filter down or filter yeah filter down into the ELMS GTE category? I, I don't know, but it, it, something's not quite working at the moment. And the same can be said, to be honest, in the Michelin Le Mans Cup because yes. in the GT3 category, we've got eight cars. Yeah. Um, uh, that, that, one, that, one on that, that one I don't understand because there's that many GTE3 cars out there. I understand the GTE cars more expensive to run, more expensive to buy. What I will say is it's six different flags in those six cars of the four hours of the Red Bull wing. But I'm being 
I'm being picky, Johnny, because how can you really complain when a regional series, a regional endurance series, has got 42 entries? So I, I am being a tad picky. I understand. I understand that. I mean, it's it's just a great sight to see the paddock, to see the cars coming round. And, of course, we'll have it in sound and vision at the weekend. This four-hour format has really developed now. And, like I say, 42 cars... I, I, I'm sorry, I am being picky. That's a great entry, and the organisers should be should be pleased with it. They should, yes. And uh, you know, I mean, the LMP3 continues to grow. That's still a relatively young formula that came in in 2015 and has changed a lot since then. You know, we've got very different manufacturers from Genetta that were the initial guys, of course, when uh, to Chris Hoy and uh, and. Um, et al won that race you know so uh, there is there's been development with Ligier coming in and obviously Norma now Charlie Robertson was a, an initial winner in 2015 as well but we've had Ligier win we've had Norma looking very very strong now as they did during the Road to Le Mans event mm. too and you know that that car super super down the straights the Ligier tends to catch it up in the twisty stuff I don't quite know which is going to be the better chassis uh, at uh, the Red Bull Ring this weekend in LMP3. But yeah, 18 cars there, 18 cars in LMP2. Um, I suppose, you know, by its own reputation, you just look at the, the GTEs and uh, and see that that's the, the fewest class, but it's still a great race. And the Michelin Le Mans Cup will provide superb support action with a two-hour race on the Saturday evening. That tends to be a 4 till 6 p.m. local time race. Yes. And we got uh, 20 cars in the LMP3 category look at there plus the gt3s as well uh we'll let you go johnny because uh, i know you've got a train to catch otherwise you won't be able to bring us that sound and vision uh coverage mm. uh the audio coverage uh sound and vision as well for practicing qual- for qualifying and both of those races so both qualifiers and both of the races live in sound and vision johnny palmer leading the rsl team there cheers jp have a great weekend i'm very envious i've driven past the red bull ring but i've never seen any racing cars there in anger i'm very envious have a good one mate we need to change that someday. Uh, but thank you very much. You too. Have a good weekend. Well done for getting on. Cheers. Uh, Johnny Palmer, uh, right at the very end, perfectly squared away. Uh, leaves me just a chance to throw back to uh, Tim in London. No time for very much else, I'm afraid, uh, this evening, Tim. No, unfortunately, we don't have time for our news in Spanish tonight. No, unfortunately, we don't have time for our news in Spanish tonight. Hold it over till next week, if it can. If it's still newsworthy, we'll do it next week. If it's still newsworthy, we'll do it next week. Okay. So, big weekend. Thank you, Tim. And welcome back to uh, Tim Gray after his uh, work away on the World Cup. Great to have him back in the London Control Centre. Thanks to all of our guests and to the responsible adult who was omnipotent as uh, as ever. Busy weekend on uh, the RSL network of channels. It's uh, IMSA Friday and Saturday. And Saturday and Sunday for the uh, the event from the Red Bull Ring, Michelin, Le Mans Cup and the ELMS. Choose, but you don't have to miss anything because we'll have the archive up for you anyway. And we're back at the same time next week on RSL1 for another edition of Midweek Motorsport. And maybe we'll have everybody in the same place together, which doesn't seem to have happened very much uh, recently. There's no time to explain. Uh, the Llama is going out for a drive around some fantastic Connecticut roads. Good night. 
This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.